Our text for today is Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. I'm reading out of the Pew Bible. That is, if you're on the floor, it's in front of you. And if you're up in the balcony, it is underneath you. Uh, but I'm reading out of the Pew Bible, and we're on page 860. So page 860 in the Pew Bible. If you're using a digital Bible, it is the CSB translation. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, on page 860. Have you ever been blind to something that was right in front of you? Have you ever been looking for your sunglasses only to find them on your face? We have a joke around the office here because Donna and I are both notorious for losing our keys and setting them around. And so it's just a question of who it's going to be that day. If it's me or if it's her uh, who cannot find our keys that we left somewhere in a door around here somewhere as we were walking through. Are there any other members to our club? Anybody else continuously yeah, looking for their keys only to find them in the car or in the door? The verses that we're looking at today, it's entirely possible that you've become blind to them, although they've been in front of you this whole time. These verses are ever-present. You know every one of them. You hear all of them quoted regularly. But it's possible that because they are so quoted, we've missed them and lost them because they were right in front of us. So that's why we come today to these verses, ever-present, and yet also ever in need of being reminded and being read, I don't think that these verses are esoteric. I don't think they're challenging to understand. I think they're very simple and straightforward and easy to understand. But if we don't take a look at them every now and again and remind ourselves of the meaning of the words of Jesus here, then it's easy for us to miss them and certainly to misunderstand them. So are you ready today to hear the word of the Lord? Well, then let's pray together and let's read it. Father God, I thank you that you are so gracious to us as to speak to us clearly. I pray today that when we hear your voice, we would not harden our hearts, but that we would receive your word and be blessed by your word. If we need to, I pray that we would be convicted by your word. We receive it in any manner that you give it to us as a blessing. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, well, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there is a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye, then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. 
Don't give what is holy to dogs, or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under feet, then turn and tear you to pieces. This is the word of the Lord for us today. It seems to me, every line, every command, every section here, there's at least one way to get it wrong, usually about four ways to get it wrong. And I think, if we're being honest with ourselves, we've got every single one of them wrong. At least once, at least at times. And so let's go over them today. Each, each piece of this, how we could get it wrong, how the world gets it wrong, but now what God wants for us and how we are going to commit ourselves to understanding and obeying his words rightly today. First of all, he says, do not judge so that you won't be judged. He is saying, we, we often get this wrong, first of all, by cheering for judgment or condemnation. He says, do not judge or you yourself will be judged. We can get this wrong, can't we? By ourselves cheering for the condemnation of others. Cheering to see others get what's coming to them. We can do this wrong by the German phrase, schadenfreude. You know this one, right? Celebrating when things go wrong for somebody else. Well, we can do this wrongly by cheering other people on. The perfect example from Scripture is Jonah, or the perfect misunderstanding of this from Scripture. The perfect counterexample is Jonah, who Jonah, first of all, doesn't want to go and tell the people of Nineveh about their sins and that God's judgment is coming because he doesn't want them to repent. That's why the whole whale situation. He flees from them because he doesn't like them. Once he shows up in town and he gives them his judgment, and he doesn't give them, you know, a powerful prophecy, he doesn't polish it up, all he does is parade through their town and say, 40 days, you guys are going to be destroyed. That's his message. 40 days and you guys are going to all be destroyed. But then something amazing happens that never happens when God's word comes to his people. Every last person in town repents. From the king to the cows. Everybody and everything has a fast. They tear their clothes. They lie in the dust. They repent before God at the message that judgment is coming. Jonah, on the other hand, goes up on the hillside and sits down with his popcorn to watch the fireworks because he so wants to see these people condemned. And then Jonah is furious when God shows mercy Jonah says, that's why I fled, God, because I knew that you're a gracious God and I didn't want mercy for these people. One way that we can get this passage wrong is we can be like Jonah. We can be hoping that condemnation will come to other people even while we are enjoying the grace of God for ourselves. We can be looking forward to the condemnation of somebody else even while we deserve the wrath of God and rejoice daily that he has forgiven us and pardoned our sins. We'd be getting this wrong if we judged people this way. Yet another way for us to get this wrong is when we say, oh, I guess I shouldn't judge then. No, who am I to judge? You know what, you do you, I'll do me. I suppose the slogan of the world is, who am I to judge? Right? <laughs> the slogan of the culture is, how dare you uh, cast any sort of judgment on anyone for any way that they would identify themselves. We would get it wrong if we read it this way. You see, we are not to condemn people to hell ourselves. We do not judge 
by walking down a lineup of the people that we see in our life and say, mm, heaven, heaven, hell, 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 heaven, hell. This is condemnation. And it won't work for us if we worship a Savior whose desire is to see people saved. If Jesus came to save people, whose side are you on if you're looking forward to their condemnation? We do not condemn people, but we do condemn sin. We do not condemn people, but we do condemn sin. This is how you can see this beautiful picture of the grace of God when Christians who have been victims of heinous crimes come to court to address the person who murdered a family member, who attacked them viciously. When Christians come to court and read their statement of accusation against the person who did them wrong, you often see these Christian family members who have murdered loved ones say to their murderers, I forgive you. And I want you to find the forgiveness of Christ. I want you to find hope like I have found hope in Jesus Christ. This is not to deny judgment. And in fact, judgment comes rightly. The person who murders needs to be removed from society so that they will not murder again. And there needs to be justice and punishment, but you still have a Christian in that situation saying, I forgive you. And I hope that you will find forgiveness. It's because we Christians don't condemn people, we condemn sin. We condemn sin in their life, we condemn sin in our lives. We Christians judge, we just judge by the right standard. This is the second verse that he says. You will be judged by the same standards with which you judge others. You will be measured by the same measurement that you use. You can get this wrong by saying, like the world, ah, who am I to judge? Listen, we don't, simply because we're not condemning other people, this doesn't mean we give up what is right and wrong and the declaration of truth who is right or wrong. It's not like right and wrong have gone away. We simply don't condemn people to hell saying they can't be forgiven. Rather, we call them to repentance and forgiveness just like we've found. Pilate, I suppose, Pilate, the judge of Jesus, would be the example of somebody who doesn't get this right. Pilate, who is in a position of authority, who is in a position who you would think, being a judge, he's in a position to bring justice. You would just think that a judge would bring justice, but no, no. Pilate's interested in one thing and one thing only. This unruly crowd not rioting. That's it. Justice is not important to him. And so Pilate famously says, ah, well, you know, what's true? Who knows here? What, what is true? What is justice here? I don't know. I feel like we can sound like this frequently when we go, oh, who am I to judge? No, no, no. Jesus is the one who has judged what is true and what is false, what is right and what is wrong. This verse doesn't mean, oh, there's no standard of truth. No, it just means you need to pick the correct standard of truth. When he says, the judgment by which you judge, you will be judged with, it doesn't mean, ah, oh, no judgment then. It just means you need to pick Christ's standard of judgment. What is, after all, Jesus' standard of judgment? Here is Jesus' judgment when he comes into the world. 
Jesus says, they're all sinners. That's the judgment. They're all sinners. But Jesus' judgment is, I don't want them condemned, but I want them forgiven. They're all sinners deserving of wrath, but I don't want them condemned. Instead, I want them to have an opportunity to be converted. I love the word converted. It's not that popular any longer. I suppose unless you're driving a Mustang or something, right? But other than that, we don't talk a lot about conversion, do we? But that's what it is to become a believer in Jesus Christ. You were something, and now you will be something else. You were on one team, and now you will be on a whole different team. You chose to view the world in one certain way, and now you're going to be converted to a whole different way of viewing things. When Jesus looks at us, he sees us rightly as objects of judgment. But his desire is that we should be converted, changed. Christ's desire for you is that you should be transformed. Christ's desire for you is that you should be fixed, set right, that you should be thriving and filled with joy and peace of God. Christ's desire for you is to be forgiven. This is his judgment. When it comes to choosing standards of judgment, choose Christ's, that I am a sinner but God's desire is to see me forgiven, not judged. His desire is mercy and not judgment for me. So then he continues on. Jesus says, How can you say to your brother, take the splinter out of your eye, when look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye? You hypocrite. Uh, Jesus is here. Uh, this is on purpose. This is a hyperbole. You say, oh, you got a speck in your eye when you have a tree trunk. A beam of wood is hanging out of your own eye. And yet you see this frequently, do you not? The way you would get this one wrong is by hypocritically calling other people to live to a standard that you yourself do not live up to. You get this one wrong if what you understood that God wanted you to do is to publicly be righteous, but privately, you know, as long as nobody sees, we can do whatever we want to. You know this is wrong, right? And yet it's everywhere, is it not? Even frequently and tragically in our own hearts. It is, once again, going to be easy for us, by way of example, to beat up on politicians. Because we all see hypocrisy sometimes, right? Doesn't matter which party. But we all see it. I mean, this is not a new phenomena. For the last 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. How far do you want to go back? There have been politicians who have declared themselves pro-family and yet have been frequenting prostitutes the whole time. There have been politicians who champions themselves as pro-life and yet have been funding abortions. How can you, if you have a speck in your eye, how can you or how can you, if you have a log in your eye, ask somebody else to repent of the sin in their life? How can you keep sins secretly? The call from God is not to hide our sins or trade public sins for private sins or to trade sins that are difficult to cover up for sins that are easy to cover up. The call from God is that we should turn away from all sin in our life. 
we can get this passage wrong when we take it to mean, oh goodness, well, I've got sin in my life, so who am I to say something about anybody else? We often get this one wrong by saying, well, you know, I've got my own stuff I'm dealing with. I've struggled with, I don't want to be a hypocrite by mentioning this. You know, by the way, this happens for parents frequently. There's nothing to remind you of your own sin like seeing sin in your children. So this happens to parents. And then parents, grandparents, take your pick, whatever you are, can choose not to confront sin and say that's wrong because they know they struggle with it as well. Listen, the call of parenting is not the call to have been perfect. You can't. The call of parenting is the call to teach your children to be repentant. You can. The call of parenting is the call to teach your children what it looks like for a person to apologize when they've been wrong. You have to teach your children. You're not going to be able to teach your children to be perfect because you're not perfect. But you can teach your children how to apologize by apologizing to your wife when you need to in front of them. You can teach them how to be repentant because they're going to see your sin at some point in your life and you're going to have to let them see your repentance and saying, I know this is wrong and I'm not going to do it again. And then demonstrate by your life repentance. What the passage says to you here is not, go, oh, well, you know, I've got sin in my life too, so who am I to judge? No, no. What Jesus is clearly saying is, take the speck out of your eye so that you can help them out. Take the log out of your eye. I'll get that one backwards for forever. Take the log out of your eye so that you can see clearly to help the other person. The call from God is not for you to go, ah, oh, well, you know, I've got sin in my life too. Who am I to say anything? No, the call for you is to turn away from your sin. Remove it from your life so that you can help other people come to repentance as well. You know, another way that we can get this wrong is we can still think, okay, I know that that's true, but I still struggle with temptation sometimes. And so I feel like I can't say anything to anybody because I'm still tempted sometimes and I've still failed sometimes. And so we can get this one wrong by thinking, I really shouldn't tell anybody else about Jesus until I have gotten over my own sin. Which is to say that you're not going to tell anybody about Jesus ever. Because until Christ returns, we still struggle with the old nature. We're still tempted to sin and sometimes we may. This is not an excuse to sin. As anyone who struggles with alcoholism but is recovering can tell you, it is possible by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to, if you're struggling with alcoholism today, to go from this day to your last day without getting drunk. But it's not possible. So whatever one specific sin you deal with, it is possible to find yourself in recovery and to say, I will not do that again. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by your own strength, but by the power of the Spirit who is in you and wants good for you, to say no more. It has been 20 years. It has been 30 years. Here I am. It has been the rest of my life that I did not do that one again. It's possible to repent of sin and remove it. It is not possible to never sin again. We're going to stumble. But we're also going to fight against sin and we're going to be repentant. Do not get this wrong by simply going, oh, you know, once I get a little bit better, then I'll tell somebody else about what Jesus is doing. No. Remove the log out of your eye today by turning away from your sin and making a fresh commitment to God that you will not do it again. And then come and help everybody else who is around you. Not in a condescending, hypocritical way, but as a peer saying, I see that sin in your life, friend. 
I want you to know I've struggled with that too, but I found, I found help in Christ. And you can find help in Christ too. Come with me and let us together find help in Christ. We do not judge others, but we do need to repent in our life and still call others. One way that we can get this wrong is when we give up the call for justice. When we give up the call for mercy. If all your condemnation is calling for justice but not calling for mercy, you've got it wrong. But also, if you understand this passage to mean giving up a hope for justice, then you've also got it wrong. It's possible that we take this passage and take it wrongly to mean, oh, you know, God's not going to judge. You know, there's, there's not going to be any judgment, this God of ours. There's no, that would be cruel. God's nice. God's nice. He's not mean. Forget all this about wrath. This is what liberal Christianity was and is. It starts with this idea of what? A wrathful God? I don't want to talk about a wrathful God. Let's just talk about a nice God. Look how nice he is. Look how pleasant this God is. Look how controllable and safe he is. Look how much he's, he is not like the ruler of the universe. He's rather like an old grandfatherly figure handing out Werther's originals and kindly offering you everything that you need in your life. This God of ours, behold him. Behold our God sitting on his throne. Nothing can compare with him. Richard, uh, Richard Niebuhr once said of liberal Christianity, Basically, the gospel for them is that a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministration of Christ without a cross. That would be the way of getting this wrong. Let me try you again. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of Christ without a cross. There's no wrath, there's no judgment, everybody will be saved. What's important is that you, we can get together and feel good. That's, that is classic liberal Christianity. What's important is the feeling of religious ecstasy. That you get together so that we can feel good on a Sunday morning. It does feel good to worship the Lord. But the nature of our faith is not feeling we live by faith, not by sight, and we live by faith, not by feel. So, let us rejoice in the Lord. The last thing that he says here is this, don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, for they will trample them under feet, turn and tear you to pieces. We are firm about what is right and wrong, God has decided what is right and wrong. All we can do is affirm it and say this is true. We are firm, resilient in the nature of sin and that sin deserves wrath. But that God has provided mercy. There will be people who come and want not forgiveness for their sins, but I don't know, maybe attention. And there are people who would like not the salvation that is offered, but I don't know, maybe some of the money. The forgiveness without the repentance. This isn't primarily about, you know, a poor person asking for a handout. This is primarily about a spiritually deprived person who wants the good, the nice things, the attention of a community, the good feelings, 
without changing their life to follow Christ. The call from Jesus is not to ignore somebody because you deem them not worthy hearing the gospel, but the call of Christ is to be wise about what we share. We don't have to let people take advantage of us. God's call was for you to share what you have with other people, and the greatest thing that you have is the good news of who God is. We must share this. This doesn't mean you have to be taken advantage of. We are to be firm about what is true. And yet we offer still grace for everybody who wants to come and repent and change, but they have to come and repent just like you and I did. Watch and see that we won't throw open the gates of our friendship, our love, our affection, our wealth, anything and everything that we have for the brother or sister who is earnestly seeking God and wants to change their life and follow after him. Watch and see that there's no length that we will not go to together to reach out to, to love and to cherish and bring in everyone and anyone who, like us, has believed and chosen to convert, to follow Jesus Christ and change our lives. But this doesn't mean that everybody who comes and asks actually wants to change their life. But it does mean that we are to judge as Christ judges. You have to choose a standard for judgment. So choose Christ's, which is that we are sinners, but his desire is that we should see mercy rather than wrath. You want to know what God's judgment is of us? Here it is here, Isaiah 53. He himself bore our sickness. He carried our pains. We, in turn, we regarded him as stricken, as struck down by God and afflicted, but he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned our own way. And the Lord has punished him for our iniquities. Verse 10, yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days. By his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. And after his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him many as a portion. He will receive the mighty as spoil, because he willingly submitted to death, and he was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many, and he interceded for rebels. Dear rebels, it is time to convert, to switch sides, to come to this God. The wrath of God is coming. Justice comes. But God has desired your salvation and so has patiently waited. Judgment comes. Christ will return and bring judgment. But he is delayed because he so wants you to see mercy. Come. Put your trust in this God today. Come, remove the log from your eye today. 
Come acknowledge the right judgment of God and be his because everyone who comes to him, he will receive. Do you want to know his judgment? It's that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's that the wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's that all, all, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And finally, today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart like you did back in your rebellion, but instead turn to him fully and completely and call Jesus Lord today. Father God, I thank you that you are so patient towards us. I thank you that you are so gracious towards us. I thank you that your judgments are so good. And I thank you that your desire for mercy is so great. Father God, give us the strength to believe today. And give us the strength to repent. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.